One, two, testing. Okay. Sorry about that. So as I was saying, um, I get these messages from Verizon Wireless telling me that it's time to upgrade to a new plan. And it's a message that I ignore, delete it right away. But if I get a message from my wife reminding me, don't forget your son's piano recital tonight, now that will stick and I won't forget. So this message is coming from our Lord Jesus Christ. So this letter is coming from Jesus. Secondly, some messages are time-specific. When I tell my kids to study for the SAT, as much as they don't want to hear it, it is a very time-specific message. It applies to them for maybe about two years in high school, and then they'll never hear it from me again. You can count on it. But this message, Jesus' letters to the seven churches, it's not a time-specific message. It's a message that transcends time and culture. These messages were written approximately AD 90, and the churches uh, they were addressed to, they don't exist now in present day. But his messages, it applies to us and also the generations to come. This evening's scripture comes from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. It's on page 1,028 on your pew Bible. Page 1,028 in your pew Bible. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers... I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus, how vast is your love, as vast as the ocean. And Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing us here tonight to worship you, to praise you. And as we get ready to hear your message, Lord, I pray that you will open our ears and humble our hearts. And Lord, I pray that do not leave any room for resistance in our hearts. Help us to listen to your message and act upon it. In your holy name, I pray. Amen. So starting this evening and for next six weeks, we will open the letters to seven churches written by Jesus one week at a time. And tonight, this is a letter to a church of Ephesus. And for the next seven letters, you will see Jesus describing himself differently seven times, and he also describes his promise or the reward seven times differently. And then there is a one unchanging theme that he asks us to do, which is to conquer or overcome. So tonight we will focus on the three sections of the letter. First, Jesus commends Ephesians. Second, Jesus rebukes Ephesians. Third, Jesus tells us to conquer or overcome. I'm going to be reading from different parts of the Bible, so you know you can write it down. You don't have to necessarily go to it. Um, you're welcome to write it down and maybe you know look look them up later on in your spare time. So starting at verse two, it says, "I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance." So. Paul talks about his own example in Ephesus, how hard uh, he worked. Uh, Paul was a tent maker, so he worked all day making tents. But every chance he got, he was... Testing, testing, testing. Okay, can you hear me now? Testing, okay. Um, So Paul tells the Ephesians through his own example that how hard he worked and every chance he got, 
he was sharing the word of the Lord Jesus with the people either at the synagogue or at the um, marketplace. Wherever he had a chance to share the gospel, he did. And this is his own uh, testimony that comes from Acts chapter 20, verses 33 to 35. I coveted no one, no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I have seen many of you, I'm going to just mention a couple of examples that inspired me over the years. This one particular uh, small group leader, I know he has a full-time job, he sees patients all day, and he sees patients even in the evening hours. And then to lead the small group, he will rush in, always a snack in his hands and smiling, ready to teach the word of the Lord. God sees that. Jesus knows that, how hard you work. And our youth group leaders, some of them drive more than an hour each way, and yet they come, they spend time with our teenage, uh, high school, junior high school students, they are role model to them, some of the college students, even with their busy schedule, they come and they teach um, our youth group students. So all these things, full-time moms have little children, and yet once a week they are leading Bible study for the women in a small group with a happy heart. So all these things Jesus sees and Jesus knows, just like how he commends Ephesians for their hard work. And then he also commends their patient endurance, bearing up for my namesake and not grown weary. In the morning, we've been studying uh, Book of Acts, and last month we, we saw how when the people of Ephesians received the gospel, and then they start rejecting these idols, burned them, got rid of them, and then the idol makers, silversmith, basically, they got all upset because they were losing money. They were not, they can't sell idols anymore. So they rounded up people, and they start having a protest against the believers. We don't have group of angry mobs outside protesting against our church, but in many different ways, we also face persecution. I know students who come from different backgrounds telling us that their parents are not Christians. Matter of fact, their parents practice different religion, and they are not happy about them practicing Christianity. Or when you share the gospel in workplace, sometimes they look at you 
like you have three heads. Sometimes they isolate you, calling you, know, you by names, narrow-minded, intolerant. Uh, how can you believe something like that in this age of science? So in, in our own ways, we also face persecution. But Apostle Paul, I mean, Apostle John tells us that we need to not grow weary and keep on doing what we're doing. I meet with a young, uh, young man in this congregation regularly, um, and we share uh, what we are reading, we share our prayer topics, and then one day he shared with me how hard it was to share the gospel amongst his workers. And I said, me too. You're not the only one. I face that too. My agnostic, atheist friends, you know, they, they, don't, they really don't like when I start talking about Jesus. So we were able to share what we go through as Christians, encourage one another, and pray for one another. And this brother told me that I encourage him. I said to myself, no, you encourage me. Because I'm seeing how God is working in your life. And as we see that, as I see that, I get so much encouragement. So, again, Apostle Paul, in his own testament, in Acts chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, he says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we know people who face persecutions, maybe not in New Haven, but when you receive letters from our missionaries that we support, how often do we see someone so-and-so got killed? We recently got a letter from Stanley Colzar, and this uh, missionary who is in India, not Stanley, but his former co-worker, he was just murdered by his own family. The judicial system found him not guilty, but his own family took his life just because he accepted Jesus and he was teaching the gospel. Jesus also commends Ephesians that you cannot bear with those who are evil, false teachers, and I'm going to also link verse 6 here, hate the works of Nicolaitans. Now, how does the Bible describe false teachers? 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 13 to 15, 
Apostle Paul says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So Apostle Paul tells us false teachers, they deceive us. They disguise themselves as if they are teaching the true gospel. But at the end, we will know they are false teachers because of the fruit they bear, the deeds. At the end, we will see that these are false teachers. Another example from the Bible comes from 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. So here, Apostle Peter tells us these false teachers, they deny Jesus, they promote sensuality, which later on we'll see how the Nicolaitans, they were practicing sexually immoral acts. And then they exploit believers with greed. And now let us look at some specific examples of these false teachers in the Bible. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, mentions Hymenaeus, Alexander, and then later on it also mentions a person named Philetus. According to early church history, I guess they were claiming that they were living in a post-resurrection time. And they saw themselves as they already have the resurrected body. Clearly a false teaching. And how often do we come across these groups? They claim that, oh, Jesus is coming back at such a such a date, such a day, such a year, a specific time, when God clearly told us that the time is only he knows. And yet these false teachers... They predict these things all the time. And the other example I would like us to look at is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
And today we have some preachers, um, you know, when you listen to their message, sometimes it sounds like they are nutritionists. They talk about food. Some, you know, so in, in, in the days of early Christians, and even today, there were all kinds of these false teaching, um, you know, focusing on money, focusing on success and wealth, and we hear them today also. Now, how can we discern the false teachings at our present time? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Apostle Paul also commended the Berians uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. So the Berians, this, they study scripture daily. Even after they hear the message from Apostle Paul, they went home and they examined the scripture to see whether it's according to the scripture. So we need to test the spirit and also study, read the scripture, and meditate on it. And then lastly, because we're living in a society with so much information, we are just getting bombarded with information, books. Uh, sometimes your coworker may just give you a book. If one in doubt, if you're not sure, ask the pastors. Ask the pastors for guidance. Ask the pastors and elders. You know, so and so gave me this book, and I'm not sure whether this is a true teaching. Consult with the pastors and elders. That's one way to also discern whether this is false teaching or not. And then the second part of the letter, Jesus now rebukes the Ephesians. We're looking at verses 4 to 5. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Why is Jesus rebuking them? Because just before, he commended them for all their good work, enduring patiently, you know, not tolerating the false teachers and false prophets, and now he's rebuking them, and sometimes it feels really harsh. Like, why is he being so harsh? Well, when I was was 
practicing a sermon with my kids, I know, you know, I tell them to study SAT, and then on top of that, I practice sermons on them. I said to them, look, if, you're, if you drive and text at the same time, you will, I'll be very angry. And if I catch you a second time, there will be a fury. And if you don't listen and if you keep drive and, and text at the same time, guess what? I'm going to take the car key away from you. Why? It's not because I want to be a mean dad or try to make your life miserable. It's because I love you. It's because I don't want you to get into an accident. I don't want you to get killed. I don't want you to hurt other people. So when I tell you not to text and drive, it's because I love you. Now you see, Jesus is rebuking Ephesians, not because he's just trying to be hard, because he loves them. He died for the church. He died for us. So sometimes Jesus uses a stern warning to get our attention. And what is he rebuking about? He's saying, you guys abandoned, not just, you know, accidentally lost, you guys abandoned the first love. Abandon is a willful action that you do intentionally. Early on, Paul commended Ephesians for their faith in Jesus and also their love toward all saints. But along the way, they started to abandon this love, love towards Christ and also love towards one another. So Jesus is saying, you need to regain the first love. Now, if you think about it, love for Christ and love for one another, where do we hear this theme? Isn't this from the greatest commandment? Love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor. So Ephesians, they stop keeping this most important commandment. So maybe they were just doing the work for doing the work's sake, while there was really no love towards Christ or love towards one another in the church. Apostle Paul tells us to examine ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says you need to examine where you have fallen, just like here. Examine yourself. Is there love for Christ in you? Is there first love? And the importance of first love, I would, I would like all of us to find this uh, passage. It comes from, in your pew Bible, it's 1000. 23, page 1023, 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And you can see why Jesus is putting so much emphasis on love towards God and love towards one another. Beloved, let us love one another, 
for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And you could keep you could put your finger there because we're gonna go to the next chapter shortly. So God so Jesus rebuked Ephesians for abandoning the first love. And then he he tells the Ephesians you need to overcome. Uh, it's in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So Jesus is telling us you need to overcome or conquer in order to enjoy and be with God in his, his kingdom. So how do, we, how do we overcome? How do we conquer? What is Jesus talking about? Just flip over to the next chapter in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5. It's in page 1023. 1 John chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God so here apostle John tells us when we love God and obey his commandments one who believes that Jesus is the son of God this is way to overcome the world. Because in Je- Jesus defeated the power of sin and Jesus conquered death. So in him, we will also defeat the power of sin and conquer death. So how does this apply to us 
today. Well, like I said to you before, those of you who are doing wonderful work, don't be discouraged. Even if somebody does not notice what you're doing, or if somebody, you don't feel you're appreciated, don't be discouraged because Jesus sees everything that you are doing. Even the things that you do in secret, he knows and he will reward you. And secondly, encourage one another. When you see somebody doing something, hey, tell them that you appreciate it. Um, encourage your, your, your pastors. Love your pastors. You know, Pastor Nick, thank you for having lunch with me. You know, I really, really needed to talk to you today because I've been having trouble dealing with this. Thank you for listening to me, and thank you for, you know, giving me an advice. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Your sermon helped me to deepen my faith. Thank you, Pastor Matt. I've been really struggling with this issue. Thank you for your brotherly advice. Encourage them. When you see somebody picking up people from Columbus House, appreciate that because they are going out of their way. You know, and when you see people doing all kinds of children's ministry, music team, encourage one another. Get to know one another and get to know what their prayer needs are. We all have needs that you can pray for. Pray for one another. Tell them to stay the course. Hold on to it. So by encouraging one another, we can continue to do these good works that Jesus was commending. Now, for those of you who are new to um, Christ or who has not experienced or tasted the first love, I would like to borrow... Dr. D.A. Carson's illustration that I heard uh, at this conference. Imagine yourself in a courtroom. You are the defendant. God is the judge. And Satan, also known as accuser, is a prosecutor. So in this courtroom, Satan opens this book. And in this book, it lists every single sin that you have committed. So the prosecutor is reading one by one the court and then telling the judge this person is guilty as charged. Look at all this. The sin that he had committed. So he should be punished eternally in hell. And he's grinning because he's got the list. And then all of a sudden, the back door fling opens, and this man walks in. This man walks down, and then he tells the judge, Your Honor, I have served his sentence. I already took his punishment. And then the judge now announces, In the light of new evidence, I declare the defendant not guilty. Bailiff, let him go. And now the prosecutor is, is fuming. He says, what do you mean he's free to go? Don't you see? Don't you see the book? Don't you see all these sins that he committed? And then the judge leans over and he says, 
Yeah, I see something. My son's blood. That is the essence of first love. His redeeming love. That God sent his son to die in our place so we don't have to serve that sentence. In a moment, we're going to sing this hymn. And this song is all about God's redeeming love for us. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. So those who have not experienced this love, here's your invitation. Come and experience this love. And for those of us who's been following Jesus for years, this is time for us to rekindle that fire, love for Christ and love for one another. Let us pray. Lord, our Father, we thank you for your love, how you sent your Son to die in our place. And Lord God, your redeeming love is so great that it has been our theme and it shall be till we die. Lord, we praise you and give you all the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.